Heavenly Father, may the words of all who preach or teach on this day, and may the hearts of all who listen to your word and your promises, may they be acceptable in your sight, blessed by the Spirit of God, in whose name we pray, amen. I want to take you to a party 2,000 years ago. This summer I preached about a party that Jesus had been at. They didn't treat him very well at that party. The one who hosted the party had no water to wash his feet. He had nothing in the form of cordiality to greet the Savior. He was treated as one of the lower-ranking people there. Not so with his party in Luke 14. Midway through the party, Jesus turned to his host, and he said to him, When you give a future luncheon... Do not invite the people I see here today, for they are your friends, they are your relatives, and they are your rich neighbors. If you invite them, then you know that they will invite you and you'll be repaid. But next time you give a feast, invite the poor that we pass by coming into your mansion Invite the crippled man that we saw, the lame and the blind. And if you invite them, then your life will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid by God himself at the end time. You'll be repaid by God. Holiday season has arrived in all of its excitement and fervor, both in the world at large and in the church. Holiday season has come. COVID virus might have interrupted some special family traditions, but God be praised, it has not touched the heart of the holidays. It has not touched the depth of the meaning of the holy days. Because the heart of the holidays And the depth of these holy days is the power of God, which traverses through humanity like the winds in the jet stream at 300 miles above this earth or the ocean's currents. Uh, COVID virus or any circumstance does not diminish God's power, nor do those things diminish his love. The love extended to you as if you were his only child on a planet that houses 7.7 billion people. A love extending so far as a crossbeam of wood upon which his son died out of love for us. And these viruses and these things that happen as a result of the viruses, the disturbances that have come to our lives. It does not diminish the wisdom of God. It cannot begin to touch it. The wisdom that keeps everything under his control, as described by Pastor Shower last week, 68,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. Who can do that except God? 10,000 taste buds on your little tongue. Who can do that? but God. 600 muscles moving 200 bones. 
Who can do that but God? I loved the New Testament reading that we had last week. I said it's the top five of all the Scripture readings. Who or what shall separate us from Christ? Some virus, poverty, illness, finances, divorces, broken relationships. Who or what shall separate us from Christ? In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Your Thanksgiving might have been messed with by COVID, but the hearts of that day could not be touched. God shone forth. The Bible says we should fix our eyes on the things not seen. We all understand that our family traditions are things that are seen. They are visuals. If that pecan pie was not at the Thanksgiving table, a tradition was ruined. It had to be there. When you're putting up decorations, certain traditions are followed. As I found out the other day, 44 years of marriage, and I was instructed that that ornament needs to go on that place, on the tree. Don't tell Connie I said that, okay? It's between you and me. People watching online, oops. Our traditions are visual things. We need to see and we need to hear and we need to taste. The music that is played as we're putting up our decorations for four or five hours is the same music we play every year. But we do not get tired of it. The things that are seen make up our traditions. But the things that are not seen are what make up these holy days. That is why I'm so proud of Synod for picking the gospel they did for the first Sunday of Advent. When he comes in 25 days or however many days it is, that's not why he came. Why he came was 33 years later as he dies on that cross and is raised from the dead. Holiday season, it incorporates parties, feasts, festivities galore as part of the gaiety of the season. And the parties you have are going to bring forth family and friends. I ask everybody I see, how'd Thanksgiving go? Who was there? How many were there? I do not ask it to be a COVID police. I ask it to see if you celebrated with one other human being there. Their voices... Their love, their laughter. Whether it's grandchildren, sons or daughters, your children, brothers or sisters, friends. The love and the laughter and the voices. That is what I remember as each holy day goes by. That's what stuck in my memory. I'm going to talk with you about parties, okay? I want to talk with you about socially acceptable parties. I want to talk with you about the party that Jesus attended. The theologians believe that when Jesus came to this party in Luke 14, the host of the party saw the grubby clothes he had on, that shepherd's gown that he wore everywhere that had stains all over it and must have smelled pretty bad. They took off that, the theologians believe, and put a rich robe on him. I think the robe stayed only 
for about half of that party, and then it came off. And I'll explain. Socially acceptable party, Google it. You don't have to go to Miss Manners any longer. You just have to Google it. It'll tell you whether that wine glass should be on the right or left of the water glass, and it should tell you exactly where the dinner fork should be in connection with the soup spoon. But I don't want to get into that. Socially acceptable parties. Are you ready? So that when the party is over and you're looking at Facebook three days later, they're talking about your party as being the best one they ever were at. Here's what you need to do. Socially acceptable party. Number one, Google will tell you that you have to invite people with whom you have much in common. Family members, friends, business associates. It's permissible to invite people who have invited you to their party. In fact, that's a good thing to do. And if you've invited someone to a party in the past and they've never invited you back, then you flip the denarii, and if it's heads, you invite them, and if it's tails, you don't. You give them one more shot at this thing. Who should you invite? Invite people who you want to know better. In other words, invite people who will help you climb up the social ladder or the financial ladder. You want to think about connections to bigger and better things. And very, very importantly, socially correct parties. You invite those from the same social stratum that you come from. You don't want a north side and south side mixing. Same social stratum. Secondly, if you Google it, you'll be told that your invitations need to be very clear, concise, and gracious. Let everyone know what type of party it is, when they should arrive, and very importantly, what they are expected to wear. That's crucial. You don't want someone coming in jeans and someone else coming in a $5,000 three-piece suit. Let them know what they're supposed to wear. I mean, Jesus himself had a rich robe on at this particular party. And thirdly, when uh, the invitations come back as being received, now your work is cut out for you. This is not a matter of a day or two. This is a matter of weeks. Because you have to study the guest list over and over again. It's critical for the success of your party that they're all seated at the table they should be seated at. You don't want to put people who have had disagreements in the past at the same table. Not good. You don't want to put a Cubs fan at the same table with a White Sox fan. You don't want to put a Democrat at the same table as a Republican. And make sure that the most important people at that party are seated at your table. Socially acceptable holiday parties. There are the guidelines. The Bible looks at it differently. And the one we Google is Jesus. In his words in Luke 14. He takes off the robe. He sits there for half the meal and he looks around him. And he sees so much jewelry that it blinds his eyes. 
And he sees so much wealth just in the clothes that they're wearing that he remembers the poor and the crippled and the deaf and the dumb and the blind and the lame that he is usually with. And he has the courage to turn to the host of the party and he says to him, I look at who is here. You have chosen well. The elites are here. That man over there, a most influential priest. That man over there, a very successful lawyer. That man over there, CEO of the company in Jerusalem. But sir, as I look around, the only ones I see are your friends, your family, and your business connections. They gain nothing from this party. I do not see the people that I see outside your mansion. I don't see the poor. I don't see the orphans. I don't see the widows. I don't see the desolate. I don't see the man with a withered hand that I healed. I see no semblance of poverty or need at this party. You have all the wealth imaginable. The wealth represented in this room is 99% of the wealth in Jerusalem. I see no one who benefits from this party. You will have looked at your time, talents, and treasures as something used to help you, to show off you, to point towards you. But God gave you your time, talents, and treasures that you might point to others with them, that you might help others. If you do this, you'll be blessed by God. This party is an interlude. It is a halfway point between the start of his ministry and the end of his ministry. Does he change his tune? When he's sitting with all this wealth and power, does he change his tune? Is he intimidated by what he's sitting at? The answer is no. He begins his ministry, as I tell you often, in the course of any year. He begins his ministry, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the compassionate, blessed are the humble and the poor in spirit, Blessed are those who seek not after bank accounts, but blessed are those who seek after the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's how he started his ministry. How did he end his ministry? He ended his ministry by saying, Welcome to the kingdom. You saw the hungry, you fed them. The thirsty, you gave them some to drink. The naked, you put clothes on them. The sick, you visited them. Those in prison, and you went to see them. He's saying to the host what he said at the beginning of his ministry, end of his ministry. He said to the host, if you invite the poor and the lame and the crippled and the orphans and the widows, if you invite them, then you truly would have fed the hungry. Not talking food here. If the poor had come to this feast, they'd have been hungry four hours later. And they'd have been thirsty two hours later. I'm not talking about that, neither is Jesus. 
You fed the hungry. You invited them into a place where there were other people who looked at them with different eyes than they have ever seen out there on the street. You fed them with honor. You fed them with companionship. You fed them with grace and with mercy extended. And if you invite them the next time you have a party, you will have given drink to the thirsty. You will have put the clothes of dignity upon those who have little of it. You will have visited the sick of mind and the sick of body. And you will have visited those in the prison of poverty and low self-esteem. And I can't look at my faith in the mirror, neither can anyone else. There's a passage, Galatians 6, verse 7. Apostle Paul, perhaps thinking of this scripture, Apostle Paul wrote, Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. If a man sows to the earthly nature, if a man sows to build his power and his wealth on this earth, the blessing shall not come to him. If a man sows to spiritual nature, new commandment I give you that you love one another. If a man sows to spiritual nature, he shall from that nature reap everlasting life. And then he says, do not weary in doing good. You will receive your reward at the appointed time if you did not give up. As often as the opportunity arises, invite everyone to the feast called your life. And you'll be blessed by God. The party is your life. Your life is the party. Do you discriminate as to who's invited to the party called your life? Three years ago, a man's mother dies. He looks at the accumulated wealth he now has. It's over a million dollars. He says it's become almost a curse. When asked why, he said, When I get to heaven and I stand in front of God, is God going to say to me, I gave you a million dollars for Pete's sake. (laughs) How come you're coming to heaven with a million dollars? You're like the man in the parable who had one talent and he buried it in the ground and he said to the master, I was concerned about you. I'm giving you back the money. And the master said, why didn't you use it for the kingdom? Here's this man, he's worth a million dollars. You think that he'd be floating on cloud nine. But he's concerned what God is going to say to him when he gets to heaven. And the man's conscience said to him, God just tells you to tithe. And the conscience spoke back. But doesn't it say to those who are blessed greatly, even more is expected. 
That's what this party is all about. And that's what the party of our life is all about. I was reading a devotion last night by Charles Spurgeon, and I couldn't believe it because he said the exact same thing. He was talking about a wealthy man there in his church, Tabernacle Church there in London, England. And he talked about this man as being the wealthiest man he had ever met and the most unhappy man he had ever met. He had no friends, no family. And then he talked about the poor members of his congregation and how they embraced each other with joy. The party is your life. Your life is the party. First Sunday of Advent, as we wait for his coming, who's invited to the party of your life? Closing word. Who's at Jesus' party? Strongest man in the Bible, Samson, sitting next to the weakest person in the Bible, the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years who could barely stand. Who is seated at Jesus' party? Prodigal son and the thief on the cross. And they're talking about, we made it just in the nick of time. Who's at the party? Moses, the leader of the Israelites. David, future leader of the Israelites. Are they talking about their leadership skills? No. Moses is talking about the fact he murdered a man and God forgave him. David is talking about the fact that he had Uriah murdered and God forgave him and they are seated at the party. Who's at the party? The demon-possessed man who said of Jesus, you healed me. I want to be your disciple. Who's at the party? The one leper who came back and said, you healed me from my leprosy. I give you thanks and praise. They're seated right next to Simon Peter, who said after being with Jesus three years, I don't know who he is. I've never seen him before. Who's at the party? The most righteous Pharisee who ever came to the faith in Acts chapter 6, the day after Pentecost when Simon Peter preached. And guess who he's sitting next to? Rahab the prostitute from the Old Testament. Do you understand what it means when it says, at God's party called this life, neither rich nor poor, male nor female, slave nor free, we're all invited to the party. And we all extend mercy and grace to everyone else who's at the party. In our Savior's name, amen. Heavenly Father, the directions are clear. The blessing is the fact if we follow the directions, our life becomes changed. If we're living for ourselves, we're always anxious and nervous. If we're living for other people, we don't have time to be anxious or nervous about ourselves, because our hearts are focused on someone else. The holiday season, God's love sending his son. May the holiday season be God's son working through us to show his love to others. 
in this banquet called life. In our Savior's name, amen.